as we gather around the written word and listen to the spoken word. May we meet with the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, I was talking to somebody before the service and they commented that they had a look at the readings um, but it felt a bit like coming in halfway through an episode of Hollyhocks and they weren't quite sure what was going on. Uh, I said, yes, well the option was we had, we read the whole of the book of Esther or I gave you a bit of a kind of fill in the gaps during the sermon. So we're going to have a bit of a fill in the gaps, don't worry. I will catch you up with what's been going on and where those readings fit in. Before we do that, I wonder if there's any fans of pantomimes here. I know, oh, we've got some hands up. I know that Beauty and the Beast started at the Belfry uh, yesterday. Um, Some of our folk have been involved in that. I wonder if you have a favourite pantomime. Uh, Aladdin or Puss in Boots, Cinderella, Peter Pan. I know know some families have this tradition that they go to the pantomime every year. Um, We never really got into that, but I've helped out at a few school trips to pantomimes. Give me strength. (laughs) One thing I've noticed is that pantomimes need a villain, don't they? Someone the audience can hiss and boo and shout, he's behind you when he's trying to sneak up on the hero. Whether it's Captain Hook or the Horrible Sisters, every pantomime needs a villain. And in the story and the events we're looking at today, the villain is a man called Haman. In good pantomime tradition, when the story of Esther, the story of Esther is read every year at the Feast of Purim, at the um, uh, festival of the Jewish, uh, Jewish people. And it celebrates her courage. And every time Haman's name is mentioned in the reading of the story, the congregation makes as much possible noise as possible to drown it out. But, although this story does have some features of a pantomime, in the way that it's told, in some of the humour in it, it's not a pantomime, this account. It's an account of real people living under a dire threat and how they relied on God to see them through. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring different counts of people in the Bible who've found God in the chaos of painful or difficult situations. We met Paul in prison and thought about how he coped with that. And then last week, we met Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, threatened by fire and experiencing God's presence in the middle of that. If you weren't here and you want to catch up, it's on our YouTube and Facebook channels. But today, we meet Esther, Mordecai, and the people of God living under the threat of extermination. Quite an appropriate story to be thinking about in Holocaust Memorial Week. How did they live through that? And what might we be able to learn about how we deal with situations where we feel under threat? So let's fill in some of that story for you. The book of Esther, it begins in the court of the great Persian king Xerxes. And we know from other historical sources that he did indeed rule over this great empire that stretched all the way from India to the Mediterranean. And Xerxes is having a great festival with all his army chiefs and government officials. And this festival, it was a proper party. It went on for days. And the king and all his guests drank a lot. At one stage, well and truly the worst for wear, he summoned his queen, Vashti, to be paraded before his court, but she knew he was drunk, 
And he, she knew all the guests were drunk, and she refused to come. And so angry and humiliated, Xerxes deposed her, divorced her, and started the search for a new queen. And his attention, his eye was caught by a Jewish beauty called Esther. Now, a lot of Jewish people had been brought to live in Persia and Babylon during the exile when their land had been defeated, Jerusalem had been taken over. And so they, they were forming a community there in the capital city. And Esther captivated the king. And he married her and made her his new queen. But she never told him that she was Jewish, that she was a foreigner. It was just too risky in that culture. Now, Esther had an older cousin who'd taken her in when her mother and father had died. And he was called Mordecai. Now, he had a bit of a dispute going with a man called Haman, who was the villain, do you remember? Now, he was one of the king's top officials, and he was used to people bowing down to him as he travelled through the city. And Mordecai wouldn't do this, and it made Haman furious. So, in an entirely proportionate response, in order to get back at Mordecai, Haman persuaded the king that the Jews weren't integrating into Persian society, they were not keeping the king's law, and so they should all be annihilated. They should be destroyed, slaughtered. And the king gave Haman permission to do this, and he began planning the massacre. Well, Mordecai heard about the plot, and his reaction is what we heard in chapter 4. So we get the first, our first reading. If you're wondering why Mordecai was sitting in sackcloth and ashes, this is why. He's just found out about this plot to kill all of his people. He knows what danger they're in, how real the threat is. And so he goes to Esther, he sends to Esther, Esther to ask the king and plead for mercy on her people's behalf. And if you read on in chapter 4, you discover exactly how risky this is for Esther. You see, in that court, in the rules of the court then, she was only meant to go and see the king if he'd sent for her. If she went on her own initiative and the king didn't want to see her, she could be put to death. Still, in the end, she sent to Mordecai, agreeing to do this and asking him to organise the people to fast. And in those times, fasting and praying went together. Esther was asking her people to pray for her. So after three days of prayer and fasting, Esther took the plunge and went in to see the king. What would he do? He held out his royal scepter towards her and welcomed her in. She was smart, though. She didn't ask for mercy straight away. She invited the king and Haman to a banquet that evening. She knew how much the king liked banquets. So she had a feast prepared and she plied them with drink, but still she waited. At the end of the evening, the king asked her what she wanted from him and she asked him, Haman, to come back for dinner the next night as well. They do say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach and Esther seemed to have known that. But the next evening, the king grew ever more impatient and insisted that Esther tell him what was on her mind. And she laid out the whole story, how her people were under the threat of death, how that it was Haman who had plotted it all. And the king ordered Haman to be impaled on a stake that Haman had set up 
to execute Mordecai. And then gave permission for the Jewish people to defend themselves when the death squads came for them. Esther, Mordecai, and all their people lived on in safety. And Mordecai rose in the kingdom to be second only to the king. That's where we found them in chapter 8, after it had all been resolved. Now, those of you who know the story of Esther well will know I've missed out a few of the details for the sake of time, but if you don't know it so well, go and read it in the Bible. You can read it, get the other bits. But even as it is, what a story. It's fit for any pantomime script. But as I said, for all its pantomime characteristics, this is an account of what happened to real people in real history, in a real place, in a real situation. They really were under threat, in danger. And their actions, I think, can be an example to us when we feel vulnerable or threatened or outnumbered. There are three things that I'd like to highlight that Esther did. She prayed and fasted. She stood up and took a risk. And she picked her moment. So, what does it look like to pray when we feel vulnerable or threatened? I, I don't think there's a magic formula to this. I think it's just, it's just about telling God how we feel and asking for God's intervention in the situations where we, which we're facing and asking for God's peace to see us through it. And, and fasting while we pray, it's not about trying to twist God's arm or prove how holy we are or any of that. It's, it's just a practical expression of how seriously we take the thing we're praying about. For some of us, that might mean not eating for a little while. Or it might mean stopping something else so we can focus on prayer. And sometimes that practical thing is actually the prayer itself. Sometimes we can't find the words. We just have to say, God, ah, oh, this hurts. This is hard. This is how seriously I need your help. Something I think it's important for us to notice is that they prayed and fasted together. Esther with her attendants and Mordecai and the people. We're not meant to be alone in this. We're meant to be together in our prayer and in our fasting. And then Esther stood up and took a risk. In in modern language, we might say she went outside her comfort zone bit more than that. She went into the danger zone. It's possible, you see, that she would have escaped the slaughter. She was queen, and the king didn't know she was Jewish. So she could have taken the easy way out, hoped it would be all all right for her. But she stood up. She stood up for her people, and she put herself in harm's way. And that took courage. Sometimes we have to put our big girl or boy pants on, take a deep breath, and stand up for ourselves and for others. To be honest, it doesn't always go as well as it did for Esther. Jesus did it, and he ended up dying on a cross. But, in the end, even Jesus' story turned out well as he was raised to life again and brought life to us all. So I believe that if we heed God's call and command to lay our life down for others, as Jesus did, God will bring us through it in the end. 
even with all that prayer support and showing such courage, Esther wasn't in a hurry. She wasn't foolish. She picked her moment. She showed discernment and wisdom. And it can be really difficult to do this if we feel vulnerable or feel like we're under threat. Our tendency can be going to fight or flight mode, to lash out, to speak without thinking, to rush in. One of the reasons that God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit is to teach us wisdom, to guide us, to give us the words to speak in difficult situations. So we can ask for these things when we need them. We can ask for the wisdom to know the right time to speak and for the right words to speak at that right time. Our lives are not pantomimes. But sometimes we will come across villains who mean us harm. We can end up in situations where we feel threatened or vulnerable. God is not hiding behind us. God is not a fairy godmother. God is in those situations with us so that we can bring them to him in prayer. We can draw on him for courage and be inspired by him with the wisdom that we need to see us through. Amen.